Well, welcome back to Crazy Faith Talk. I'm Sarah. I'm Steve. And I'm Erica. And uh, we are here for round two of a series uh, that we've been calling Voices Other Than Our Own, which is weird because in today's episode, we will still just be hearing the voices of the three of us. But this whole series, we've been highlighting voices that come from traditions outside of each of our own personal religious faith traditions. Uh, and so uh, in what was round one, each of us got to highlight folks. Uh, they, they went in all sorts of directions. We got to hear about Richard Foster and the Quaker tradition, uh, Patheos of Mount Athos, who is now a Greek Orthodox saint, um, and going way, way, way back old school to Basil the Great of the Great three Cappadocians, um, but we've got, each of us has somebody else we're going to be sharing with uh, in a new round here. So Erica, tell us where are we headed today? So today we are going to the Catholic Church, um, which in some ways is maybe a little bit of cheating on my part. <laughs> uh, to be honest, I was baptized in the Catholic Church and supposed to be raised in the Catholic Church, um, but I wasn't. So, <laughs> uh, but we're going to be looking at one of my um, favorite Catholic priests and scholars and writers, Henry Nouwen. Um, Nouwen was born in 1932 and died in 1996. Uh, he was, like I said, a priest in the Catholic church. He um, formed a community, is it for, um, in France, for, oh, how do I want to say this to be politically correct? Um, is it that for the handicap for the I forget now was it mentally handicapped or physically handicapped can somebody remind me was it one of the large communities yeah okay started that um so but really what what um pulls me to now in is his work in spiritual formation sure um I have several of his books from uh seminary um when I was in seminary not only did I get my MDiv, my Master's of Divinity, which is the degree most pastors have, but I also got a Master's of Arts and Spiritual Formation. That's when I was introduced to Henry Nouwen. Um, and much like Foster, I really appreciate how Nouwen um, talks about spiritual formation, not as something to necessarily achieve, something to work towards, but something that just becomes part of everyday life. Um, the first book I read of his isn't technically his writing. It's a collection kind of of his writings. Um, but it's called Henry Nouwen, Following the Movements of the Spirit, Spiritual Formation. And um, there's a quote in here that uh, when I read it, I just fell in love with it. They write, the, the spiritual life is not lived outside, before, after, or beyond our everyday existence. No, the spiritual life can only can be real only as it is lived in the midst of pains and joys of the here and now. Um, so like I said, he just, the way he writes about spiritual formation is just, um, you become spiritually formed through, through life and through what you experience and, and being Catholic, of course, he's got deep roots in a lot of the spiritual practices that we've talked about in other series, uh, on this podcast. Um, and he, he has one book out there that I have not read yet, but I want to get it um, deals with icons and how to read an icon, how to work with icons um, that I just find, I find that fascinating. It's not part of my tradition. 
but it's something I would like to someday get into. Um, yeah, that's a little bit um, about Nowen and, and why I like him. What book or work of his, Erica, do you find the most, I'm not sure I want to phrase this, but that you are drawn to the most, like that you keep going back to? Oh gosh. Um, In the Name of Jesus is definitely one of them. It's a little short book. Um, Honestly, any of his books, I'd go back to and and read again. Uh, And then there's there's a few books like the one on icons. And then there's also one he did um, called The Prodigal Son um, that I've not read yet, but it's definitely on my to read list someday. Um, So I think The Prodigal Son is the only one I've read of his. But it, it's it's really good. It's a um, I, I like like it's been years since I've I've read it, so mm-hmm. I can't give you any details. But I liked his like how he looked at that parable of um, you know the father with the two sons and the one son gets his inheritance early and leaves and squanders it and comes back and uh, yeah, I re- I liked I liked that book. Can I ask, maybe both of you, because you each have different angles of entry into to now and um, what what sort of a portrait of God emerges from what you read of now and like uh, ba- based on how now and uh, w- would invite people to interact with or know God, what, what what things would he call to the fore or what things would he sketch in a in a in a picture of what God is like? That's a, that's a good question, Steve. It's been a while since I've actually read something by now. And, um, but I, I see, I would say, um, very loving, very compassionate, um, very welcoming God. Um, cause sometimes we, we think, you know, the Catholic church, unfortunately being very role driven and very, um, strict. And, and I think now in, kind of pulls away from that a little bit and um the god that he paints and how he views god i think is a little bit more open than what most of us at least in the protestant traditions may view the roman catholic understanding of god i i think that uh at least for lutherans uh we have a hard time seeing the Roman Catholic church for what it really is right now. Mm-hmm. And, and that's because we learn about the Roman Catholic church in our catechism classes and in history classes, but we learn about the Catholic church 500 years ago when they were b- doing big pushes on indulgences and which are very works righteousness. And so I think that modern Lutherans in particular have a hard time divorcing that view of the Roman Catholic Church with the modern Roman Catholic Church. Mm -hmm. And the fact that if you look at Martin Luther's 95 theses and all of his complaints and challenges to the Roman Catholic Church about the beliefs that he didn't agree with, those aren't things that the Roman Catholic Church teaches anymore. And so we have a hard time realizing that um, the Roman Catholic Church reformed in the last 500 years. Mm and in fact, the Roman Catholic Church is now very, very similar to the modern Lutheran Church. Like, we share a very similar liturgy because Martin Luther kept the liturgy, but we also have very similar theologies. 
And um, I think that if, when you read Nowen and you, you know, you're kind of expecting Roman Catholic, if you're expecting Roman Catholic church works righteousness, that's not what you're going to find. No, like you're going to find a very grace filled, loving God. Mm-hmm. And I think you were saying about how Lutherans have a hard time because you, you look at the Roman Catholic church from 500 years ago. I think that's true. Um, at least in, in my mind, in my experience, um, probably a lot of Protestant denominations because we're so used to like, you know, the Protestant family of denominations formed because of Martin Luther and because of all the things the Roman Catholic church did back then. And, and so we still have that mindset. Um, Cause honestly, from what I've heard from my dad's side of the family who was raised Roman Catholic, I kind of still get some of that mindset. I think that that may be a helpful piece too, that like we sometimes treat Roman Catholicism like it's monolithic. This, the same way, and you can do the same with, my goodness, Lutheranism looks different in lots of different places or Methodism mm-hmm. does as well, but that there is probably a tension of different strands or, or traditions within Roman Catholicism. And some of that lines up with the actual names of different, you know, orders. The Jesuits are going to sound different than Franciscans are going to sound different than uh, Dominicans, that kind of thing. Um, and that each of those different orders and traditions are strands of theology as well as spirituality. And um, they're going to have different uh, focal points and things like that. There, there are also folks within Roman Catholicism that are very, very committed to upholding the magisterial tradition of this is what our official, you know, uh, council decrees have said, this is what we need. I mean, so you, you feel that tension anytime there's an election of a, of a new Pope and some folks who, you know, like what the old Pope did and people who are upset about what the new Pope, I mean, that, that kind of thing, you can feel that there's, there's a, a tension in where things direct, you know, go. I mean, as, as we're recording uh, today um, in the headlines in recent days is, is the tension in Roman Catholicism of the, the magisterium of bishops and, you know, deciding whether they should or shouldn't um, allow politicians or public figures to commune based on their stance on abortion and others who are like, whoa, 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 we shouldn't be doing that kind of rule keeping. I mean, that and so that's all within Roman Catholicism mm-hmm. and there's a tension between bishops and magisterial folk who have sort of as part of their office we have to toe the line this is our official policy and maybe one of the gifts of somebody like Nowen who has a freedom because he's not the archbishop of anything he's not the the pope of anything um to write in ways that uh he doesn't have he doesn't necessarily have to to feel like he's toeing the party line uh where others might say nope our official decree says this is what the policy is and Nowen has a freedom you know, obviously in his own time, uh, even though it's not that far removed from ours, but it's a reminder that one voice in Catholicism uh, isn't everybody and everybody doesn't speak for, we can't just pigeonhole, oh, you're a Catholic, you'll say this and this and this and this. Yeah, like, now it's not the only Catholic I really enjoy, like Thomas Merton's another one. Sure. But their writings are so different from one another, um, partially because Merton also went kind of a Buddhist route towards the end of his life and and got involved in all that so that i mean that's just you know we're we're how we're now was you know a a staunch catholic his entire life um but yeah but they're they're both i think they're relatively contemporary to one another Mm -hmm. um but yet they're they're, you get those two sides because merton was part of a monastery um in kentucky and now one's you know european and a priest you know um I mean, they were both priests, but, you know, just the different, um, 
paths that they took into the priesthood, I think lead to very different styles of writing. So, Although both of them, I guess I would say, are voices that um, are, are obviously in the same vein of spiritual, you know, like you know, the, the spiritual relationship with God, that sort of contemplative mm-hmm. uh, and, and uh, a God who is revealed in that kind of you know, individual, almost mystical encounter sometimes as well. So like there's, they're, they're, they're playing in the same pool, even if they're at different ends of the pool sometimes. Yeah. Um, are there things that you think, uh, Erica, once once we get past whatever denominational hangups we have <laughs> about learning from somebody outside of our tradition or whatever prejudices we bring to, oh, my goodness, he's Roman Catholic. And my 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 old Sunday school teaching was that they're the villains of church history. Uh, once we get past those hangups, are there things that you think um, you personally or the three of us or folks listening uh, would 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 particularly uh benefit from in being exposed to now and are there are there things that you have found like um uh are helpful checks and balances in your own faith or things that uh you you need that kind of voice because it helps fill out what maybe isn't there already in your tradition or isn't as loudly spoken in your tradition um so what I find with now it is it's very, so my tradition is very much like social holiness. Uh, you know, there's no holiness without social holiness. So it's very much, you know, the accountability groups, the, the, the idea that you're in community with other people were, um, if I remember incorrectly from what I have read out, like I said, it's been years since I've read any of his works. Um, it's much more on the individual level of things. Um, so that that personal piety um which for me is helpful because you know it it helps me to reflect on you know where i am with my relationship with god and sometimes i think my relationship with god is better than what it is (laughs) and then you know i read this i'm like oh yeah i need to work on this practice or that practice you know or i need to get back to lectio divina or um you know, meditation, things like that. Um, these ancient, ancient church practices that come from the Roman Catholic church that again, sometimes we we've tossed out because they're Roman Catholic, um, you know, and being the good Protestants that we are, we sometimes have based our theology on what we're not Mm, versus what we are. Yeah. So, um, he's just, he's a good reminder for me to, uh, that those practices aren't just for the Catholic Church or for uh, for the ancient Church before there even was a Catholic Church. You know, these are practices for all Christians of all times. Um, and, and so, uh, and sometimes the way he approaches them, you know, are a little bit different than say like Foster that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Um, so it's just it's good to try something maybe a practice i've done before but then look at it through now eyes and how he practiced it and see is there something more to this is there something more i can get out of this particular practice by trying it the way that he did it yeah sometimes i think we get this sort of like protestant charlie horse of when you're talking about uh 
you know, whether it's prayer practices or, or spiritual disciplines or things like that, and we get hung up on, well, back in the 1500s, people thought that if they did this, it earned points with God, and we don't want to do that, and therefore we shouldn't do the prayer or, you know, scripture reading or things like that, mm-hmm. and that, that's, that's sort of a baby in bathwater kind of a thing. I'm like, okay, let's jettison the idea that by doing this action, this makes God love me more than God did before, but that doesn't mean it's not a good idea to regularly be in prayer or regularly be contempl- you know, contemplating the scriptures or to regularly serve my neighbor. It's just, we got to be clear the reason, you know, get, get the, the horse and the cart in the right order, but you don't have to, to throw away those pieces of our spiritual life just because they can be abused. I, I, I guess I want to highlight too, uh, Erica, you mentioned that he's got this ability to speak about, uh, the individual and and even personal relationship with with God, as opposed to just sort of a corporate movement of morality of Christians mm-hmm. or people who are opposed to this or in favor of this or don't drink or don't gamble or whatever. Um, but I would say now and for me is um, a voice who shows how that sense of personal relationship with God can be done well and not sloppily, because sometimes yep. it's the 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 common language of to be honest you know, uh, modern American Christianity, that Christianity is about you and your personal you know, relationship with Jesus. And did you ask him to be your personal savior and, and all that? And that can be, it, it's, it's not, it's not wrong exactly, but it's, it, that could be done so sloppily, um, that like, it feels like basically did, did you one time say a, a sentence about Jesus and then sort of you go on your merry way. And for now, and it's never a, did, you know, did you say this sentence to check this box and leave your life unchanged? It is about this ongoing connection. Mm-hmm. And even though he has certainly a, a contemplative and sort of personal streak to his theology, maybe it's the Roman Catholic in him that is never divorced from the wider community. There's always a sense of I'm a part of this bigger community of people and other people relate to this God as well. So I never get the sense in reading now and that he, he sees God as like his personal private possession where sometimes you get that kind of sloppy talk in, in a, uh, to be crude about like a poorly worded praise and worship song where Jesus is my personal possession rather than maybe it's the other way around. I, I belong to Jesus, not Jesus belongs to me or something like that. Um, but now and now and for me is, is one who like reminds me it's okay to talk about having a, 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 an individual relationship with God. It doesn't necessarily slide into something, you know, uh, consumeristic. There's lots of ways it can get abused, but it doesn't have to be. And I think sometimes when we just focus on our personal relationship with God, um, we can think that we're better than where we are at. We're more righteous than what we truly are. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the practices that now speaks of, and even the ones that, that Foster speaks of, because mostly, you know, Foster kind of stole from <laughs> some of the same <laughs> traditions, um, you know, help us to, to examine ourselves, um, and sometimes realize, okay, my relationship with Jesus needs a little work, you know, and, you know, sometimes that's just going to be a me and Jesus kind of work. Sometimes that's going to be me, Jesus, and and the church kind of work. Um, and so, and I, I guess for me, that's partially kind of why I spend so much time, like why I have such a passion for the disciplines is they help me to examine my own piety and be like, okay, I think I'm in this place with God. I think this is where my relationship with God is, but uh, God, what do you think? <laughs> What's your opinion on where we're at? You know, um, 
which is not something I would necessarily be drawn to do um, of my own volition. I think now it is helpful to, uh, I'm, I'm thinking in particular of the work he does in a, in a book like Wounded Healer, um, and, mm -hmm. and the idea that brokenness and blessedness are not opposites. I, again, if, if there's a yep. caricature we sometimes bring to what Roman Catholic piety is, and maybe this goes back to the assumptions we make about where, where the medieval church was in the 1500s, but that there's this stark, there's sinners over there and there's saints over there. And these are, you know, non-overlapping categories and the saints do everything right. And the sinners are nothing but mess ups. And there's a certain like, uh, a, a holy gatekeeping to that kind of theology of keep the sinners away from the holy stuff, keep the saints away from being tainted by the sinners. Um, and yeah, if that's your theology, that's going to very quickly run up against the, you know, the actual Jesus who's regularly hanging out with all the wrong people. And now, and who, who, who borrows that imagery of how all of us are capable of being wounded healers and, and bringing healing to others, not in spite of our woundedness, but even through it, that there are places mm -hmm. where the, the, the scars that we care, that the wounds of the, the difficulties we've been through become tools and resources for ways we can help, uh, to, to help others to be more fully alive and, and to, to feel healing themselves. Um, that that notion of being blessed and broken at the same time and and again this is going to be the lutheran in me but like to see that as a cousin idea to being uh sinners and justified at the same time that those those are um related ideas and instead of seeing this as an either or there's there's a beautiful embrace a paradox in there that the lutheran in me is like yeah see <laughs> Well, in the, in the book that I quoted earlier, his spiritual formation, um, I mean, the, the chapters are all about going from like, you know, one opposite to the other, from sorrow to joy, from resentment to gratitude, from fear to love. Yeah, so I, I think he really gets that juxtaposition of, um, you know, it's not all, um, it's not all one or the other. Yeah, yeah. You know? And it seems like this is one of those things that maybe any anybody with any familiarity with the contemplative or mystical traditions recognizes that the the journey to wherever we think we're supposed to be headed in the spiritual life often begins n not in you know, the, the, the filtered rose colored light of stained glass windows, but the ordinary lived life where there's heartaches and messiness and ordinary you know, regular relationships and that sorrow and struggle and difficulty those are not things you got to get out of the way but that can be sometimes the road goes through those things um and that again that can be a really helpful corrective uh to the i think sometimes popular theology is sort of a well if we're if we're doing what god wants everything will be easy and as long as we pray then things will come out the way we want and some, sometimes that's not how that, that that's honestly not not good theology or good spirituality now one's a voice of like sometimes it comes through struggle sometimes it comes through you know the, the prodigal's got to go away and realize you know what a mess up and go through that whole journey before he realizes the grace that was waiting for him at the front step when he comes home and i think there's too many especially today um and more so in Western Christianity, too many people think that, you know, we're guaranteed this rose-colored sunshine and rainbow life once we accept Jesus. And, um, I mean, there, there are definitely pieces of that. You know, it shows, you know, we have our mountaintop experiences, but it's not the everyday lived experience. 
Um, but yeah, that's kind of what we've come to expect. And then we get upset when life doesn't turn out that way. So it's a good reminder that, you know, like you said, we, we, we learn and we grow through those hardships. Um, and honestly, I think those are what make us, for me, that's what makes me closer to God. It's the hardships more so than um, the rainbows and the unicorns and the rose colored glasses moments. Are there any other things that you think you would want us to uh, be aware of or know going on? Um, uh, I guess any other entry points are for folks who aren't familiar with now and things that you think would be helpful for uh, folks who are listening who don't have that familiarity? Um, I, I would say, honestly, like, like I said, I, I knew about now and before um, I started seminary, you know, you, I've heard of him. Um, he, he's kind of, he's pretty well known, um, in the Christian world, but if you're looking for like a starting place, uh, if you want to start reading him, I would say in the name of Jesus is a good book. Um, the spiritual formation following the movements of the spirit, um, or a good text to kind of get introduced to, to Nowen and his theology and then going into something like the prodigal son and, and other texts of his, um, yeah, there, there's so many. He wrote, oh goodness, how many books did he write? I have it here somewhere. Um, he, I think he wrote over 30 some books, something like that, a ton of articles. So um, there's probably something for everybody in, in now in writing and just finding what works uh, and what draws your fancy. Fair enough. Well, thank you for introducing us to Nowen and uh, how his voice helps to, to uh, flesh out your own faith and spirituality life. Um, if you've been finding these conversations valuable, we're going to be taking a look at two other voices other than our own coming up in uh, future episodes. So join us next time here on Crazy Faith Talk. Yeah. Bye. Bye.